0: For a moment, I want us to think about what it really means to experience peace. What is peace? When you look at a sleeping baby and you see a sleeping baby, a lot of people will say that's peaceful. Now, why is it that we look upon a sleeping baby and we think, think peaceful, but we don't look upon a sluggard who's lying in their bed and think peaceful? They're two different things, Right? There's the difference between the baby that's sitting, that's lying there, sleeping peacefully. And then there's the, the person who's characterized by laziness, laying in their bed, sleeping in the same manner, probably snoring in the same way. And yet what we don't think is peaceful. Part of it is when we look upon a baby, we see the goodness of God's creation. We see the power of God's creation. We see the innocence of God's creation. We also see the potential of God's creation. And in the same way, when we talk about the peace of Christ, what we're talking about is our creator God who has granted his people, his overwhelming peace. We're talking about a peace that endures through trials, a peace that goes beyond our, our guilt, beyond our shame, beyond our fear. When you look at a baby, a baby sleeps peacefully because it doesn't recognize its own problem. It puts its trust and its confidence and its full need in its mother and its father. The sluggard, on the other hand, sleeps away his days avoiding those very things, avoiding his need for Jesus, avoiding his dependency upon Christ upon us father and when christ sent his spirit to his church what he was doing in essence was actually empowering his church to experience the peace of god the peace of christ when the spirit comes upon us he's actually empowering us to experience his peace So as we look at this passage, let's read this together. It's John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 23. And so let's go ahead and stand together as we read this together. And this is what it says. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he'd said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the sustaining power of your spirit. Father, I pray that you'd settle my own heart and mind this morning, just in the differences and changes, and yet you know each one of them. Lord, we do pray against any work of the enemy that looks to disrupt or destroy, to devour. We pray against that in the name of Jesus. We pray against, in your name, any principality that seeks to distract us from your work. Father God, may your spirit bring your word forth in power this morning. And thank you, Lord, for the celebration of this day, of the day where you established your church through the granting of your spirit. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. The heart of this passage is the idea that the Holy Spirit, who empowered Christ, still empowers his church to live and proclaim his peace. The Holy Spirit, who empowered Christ, still empowers his church to live and proclaim his peace. The Holy Spirit empowered Christ and continues to empower us for the purpose of his peace. Now, what's interesting about this story is this story takes us right from the Easter story, doesn't it? If you notice here in this passage, what's happening is Mary Magdalene has gone to the tomb Right prior to this, this experience where Jesus meets with the disciples, Mary Magdalene has gone to the tomb and she sees the tomb is empty. And when she turns around looking for Jesus, wondering what has been done with his body, asking for them to tell her where his body's been placed, he speaks to her and she turns around and says, Rabbi she recognizes Christ's voice. And the beauty is, That occurs in this is that Jesus says to her in verse 17, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Now Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So these disciples have heard from Mary Magdalene that Jesus has arisen. Now what's interesting is they've come together. They're gathering in this room. It says that they're gathering there because they're fearful. They're fearful of the Jews. In fact, they believed, right, that in this time there was a lie that was being granted that the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus. That's how the Jews were saying that Jesus didn't rise again. And so they're they're hiding in this room, fearful of the Jews And you can imagine for a second that they must have been talking about these things, right? Mary Magdalene says she saw Jesus. We haven't seen him yet. She has to be nuts. Maybe some of them were thinking, well, this is what Jesus told us. We hope it to be true. But the truth is we're told that there was fear amongst them. There was no peace. Now think about this for a second. Jesus then appears. We're we're told that the doors were locked and Jesus appeared in human form. Now, this is an awesome thing. He appears in flesh and yet walls were no boundary. It's the way that we were originally created. Christ in his glory coming through the locked doors and stands amongst them. Now, for me, I don't think my greeting would be, Peace be with you. My greeting would be, You cowards, you left me when I was in need. You left me behind, right? I mean, think about that for a second. You could understand how Jesus might stand before them, coming before them, and saying, I don't know what you guys are thinking, you're afraid again. You ran off before. Now you're hiding in a room. You were with me for three years, and yet this is where we're at. I mean, if it were your employer, you'd probably fire him, right? But no. Jesus comes and he says, "Peace be with you." He he recognizes the need for the grace. He understands their sin. He understands their inadequacy. He understands their fear. And so we're told that after entering and after saying, peace be with you, rather than standing and criticizing the disciples, we're told that he shows them his hands. And then it says that after he shows them his hands, he shows them, His side. If you recall, when Jesus was on the cross, a spear was stuck in his side. And we're told that blood and what looked like water flowed from his side, from his body. It told the story that, yes, this was the risen Christ. And the disciples in this moment, what do they do? It says that they became glad that all of a sudden they realized, yes, he is alive. Now, Ephesians 2, 13 through 17, and verse 22 tells us this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace And then verse 22: In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Who is doing that? The Spirit is working on our behalf. To do what? To make us a dwelling place for God. So when we see this picture, what all of a sudden we see is that the Spirit is working throughout. The Holy Spirit is not just working at the point at which a person responds to His grace. But the Holy Spirit is working on our behalf all through this process. Working in our hearts. And so, the peace that Christ offers to us is rooted, actually in two things that are spiritually empowered. The peace of Christ offers to us is rooted in his spirit empowered first work on the cross. So if we're going to experience the peace of Christ, we need to recognize that it's rooted in the spirit empowered work of the cross. That Christ was leaning on the spirit. We're told from Philippians that while he does not remove his deity. He does not pull on his deity, but rather allows the Spirit to work in him to bring about his perfect life. He had to be a perfect human sacrifice. And so the Spirit is the one who Christ is trusting and leaning on throughout his ministry so that he can go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice. Not one who is pulled on his own deity, but rather who is relied on the Spirit's work. The work on the cross occurs because the Spirit is alongside. And those that were near Christ experienced the Spirit, but it was through Christ that they experienced the Spirit. Romans 1, 3 through 3-4 says concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The spirit was an active part of raising Jesus from the dead. The spirit works all through the resurrection. All through Christ going to the cross. All through our redemption, the spirit of God is at work. This is an awesome thing. The Holy Spirit is actively working with Christ to bring about the fulfillment of the cross. Christ went to the cross empowered by the Spirit. Christ rose from the dead in part raised by the Spirit. We're told actually that the Trinity in part at different points throughout Scripture, all have a part in the resurrection. But the Spirit is raising up Jesus from the dead. When we understand that Jesus on the cross is actually experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit at work, what a gift it is for us to know that God has granted us the same Spirit the same Holy Spirit. John 14, 26-27 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How does he say that we're to walk in peace? We're to walk in peace by the power of the Spirit the same Spirit that gave us understanding. In Luke, we're told that the the disciples at this time had experienced Jesus, and yet they didn't fully understand. Yet they were glad to see the hands with scars and a scar on His side to know that Jesus had really risen. It was the Spirit who brought understanding. It says here that He's the one that teaches us. He's the one that brings remembrance to the Word. He's the one that opens our eyes to the understanding of God's grace. Now think about this for a minute. The disciples Know that the Spirit of God has had a part in raising Jesus from the dead. They've been told that the Spirit would come upon them to bring them understanding, to be the helper that they need to walk out their faith. And they've just seen Jesus rise from the dead and come into their presence. Now, notice what happens next in verses 21 through 23. It says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he'd said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. They've just now understood that the Spirit is at work With the cross. But the second thing that brings peace, first, that yes, the gospel is true, that Jesus is the true Messiah. And the only way to experience nearness with God is through Jesus. And the Spirit is an active, working part of bringing that about. The second thing. The first being the Spirit-empowered work of the cross bringing peace. The second is the Spirit-empowered purpose for His followers or His church. The purpose for His followers or His church. So the first thing that allows us to sit in the peace of God, to experience the peace of God, is the Spirit-empowered work of the cross. The second is the Spirit-empowered purpose of His followers, His church. You ever been so bored out of your mind you don't know what to do? It's actually not a good feeling, is it? Ever been twisting in the wind trying to figure out which direction you feel led to go? Maybe it's about taking a job. Maybe it's about when to retire. Maybe it's about who to marry, who to date. Maybe it's as simple as trying to figure out what topic to write a paper on. But when you twist in the wind, there's no peace, is there? When we feel lost, there's no peace. And yet what the Spirit does is the Spirit gives us direction. His Spirit is the one that actually leads us. And we can have peace because He has given a clear purpose for His people. Now, what's unique about this is he says here, I'm sending you as the Father has sent me. That's a tall order. But remember for a moment, the disciples are sitting here going, wait a second. I've just seen what Jesus did. I'm not so sure I can live that life. I'm not so sure I want to live that life but Jesus does something unique here he actually is going to give them the very spirit that has empowered him see Christ lived the very message he proclaimed and he's called us to do the same Christ lived the very message that he proclaimed, that he was the Messiah, and we are to repent and believe. He calls us to be heralds of the same thing, to proclaim the same message that he is the Messiah. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what he's called us to. He's saying, listen, live what you proclaim. As his church, I'm sending you out just as the Father has sent me. You are to go out and to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are to be a light into the world. On the day of Pentecost, we receive the Spirit who allows us to be a light into the world. Why do we want to love those who are serving us? Why do we want to love those healthcare workers? Because we want to be a light that allows them to see the glory of God. This week, again, I had another worker that came to us and just simply said, It's so good coming here. Nobody treats us like this. We want them to see the love of Jesus. We want them to see that what we have is so important that they can't help but run to Him. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit here, the beauty of Christ's call. And so Jesus says, listen, if I'm going to send you as the Father has sent me, I know that you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it in the flesh. It won't happen. And so guess what? He says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now we know that this is not necessarily a full casting of the Holy Spirit because We're told, actually, in Acts 1, that those disciples await for the fullness of the Spirit to come upon his church in Acts 2. But what is gained here is a granting of the Spirit that allows them to endure the next 40 days and is a precursor of what is to come, that the mission of the church is empowered by the Spirit, not by people. The church is never to be empowered by people alone. It is to be in the power of the Spirit, where the Spirit of God is working in our lives. And so the first thing that we see here is that the Holy Spirit brings new spiritual life. The Holy Spirit brings new spiritual life. Notice what it says. It says, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is a gift from God, only granted when we repent and believe on Christ for our salvation. We're told in Ephesians that we are granted his spirit as a guarantee, as a promise of our salvation. Now, a lot of times people will say, well, that doesn't, sound, that doesn't sound right. That just sounds too easy. We can go live our own life and continue to do that. That's not what he said. What he is telling his believers in the granting of the Holy Spirit is so that we understand that we are not to be characterized by sin, we are to be characterized by righteousness. And if we're asking the question of how often can I sin and still remain in the, the, the nearness of God, in the salvation of God, we're asking for the wrong reason. What God wants is He wants our hearts submitted to Him. And Ephesians 1.13 was to bring confidence to those who had submitted their lives to the Lordship of Christ knowing that it was in the power of the Spirit that they had new spiritual life. Now, why is this important? Because in Acts 2.38, it says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only comes upon us through our belief in Christ. The world today We listen to language like universe, energy. People know there's something else that they have to tap into because they can't do it on their own. And they sense that there's something else, and they're absolutely right, there is. What that something else is, is the Holy Spirit that is granted through their submission to Jesus Christ. One of the greatest deceptions is to believe that there is a mystical energy that in some way provides us power. And yet Christ says he's provided you a person in the Holy Spirit who indwells you that gives you the power to live righteously before him. I think one of our great misses today in sharing the gospel is not tapping into this to not helping people see that the answer to the very thing that they seek is found in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. That there is one who indwells them, who has greater wisdom. I I, I always find it interesting that you'll you'll find people that desire to, to do things better, to live a better life. And the truth is, Is that where they begin looking is actually internally. When what Christ has said is it's external and then internal. It's Christ, a submission to Him, and then His Spirit indwells us. But it is not, in my flawed thinking, me trying to find some way to tap into some energy that is unknown. The power that the believer has is known and it is found in the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying when he says he breathes on him is it brings us back to Genesis 2, 7, which says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. What he's saying here is that when he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is you are now new in life. The old has passed away and the new has come. You are now built up, sustained by the new spiritual life that is granted in the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3, 1-4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ... That it is only in Christ and through the working of His Spirit that we experience life. And you are no longer simply sinners saved by God's grace. You were once that. But you are now saints who sin. And this is important because we can spend time. I mean, think about this the number of times where you fail and sin. I I want us to honestly ask ourselves do we feel powerless to sin? Do we really feel like sin it masters us at times, that we have specific sins in our lives that master us? In part, I think that we need to change our perspective. We have the Spirit of God who has resurrected Christ living within us. We are no longer slaves to that sin But in the Holy Spirit, we become slaves to righteousness. And the question is, do we really believe that we are new in Christ, that through the Holy Spirit, we have new life? Do we believe that actually that sin has been buried with Christ and now that the resurrection life that's within us will overcome the sin that's in our life? I think sometimes we, we get defeated because we lose sight of the fact that it's actually the Spirit of God, the resurrection life that's actually living in us. We just don't believe it because we believe that the power of sin is more powerful than the Spirit. I mean, that's in practice. We know at times that that's not the case, but in practice, we feel like we're losing the battle. And part of it's because we've lost sight of the fact that the Spirit of God brings new spiritual life. And it's not just a simply more effort. It's a belief, a faith that yes, I am now living a resurrected life and God says that he will overcome that sin in my life and therefore I believe that he will. And I begin to trust in his power to do those things, the Spirit's power to complete those things in my life. Job 33.4 says, The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's an awesome passage. If the Spirit... Of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The same power that raises the spirit is the same power that helps us walk in righteousness, that allows us to experience his nearness. Merrill Tenney points this out. He says the words of Jesus emphasize that the Holy Spirit is not bestowed on the church as an ornament. It's not to just sit there like an ornament on a tree, but to empower an effective application of the work of Christ to all men. It's one of the things that happens when we get imbalanced. It's one of the things that when we begin to emphasize only one part of the Trinity, what happens is we lose sight that the Spirit is at work within us and the resurrection power of Christ is actually residing in us through the Holy Spirit. We should no longer experience continued failure in sin, but growing righteousness. It doesn't mean we won't battle with sin. It does mean though that my mindset begins to change and I begin to grow in righteousness. My heart begins to change because the Spirit is moving and twisting it because I am no longer powerless to sin, but in fact, I am actually now empowered Toward righteousness. See the difference? I'm no longer powerless towards sin, but I am empowered towards righteousness. That's the Spirit. That's the gift that God has given us. The second aspect of the Holy Spirit here that we see according to his purpose and his plan for his people is that he grants Christ's authority in proclaiming the gospel. The first is that we have a new spiritual life through the Holy Spirit. The second is that he grants Christ's authority in proclaiming the gospel. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What he's not saying is, is that Ken gets to say, yeah, you're forgiven and you're not. This is actually what in the early church caused some drastic problems. It's, it's how all of a sudden forgiveness became tied to money. It's one of the primary reasons for the Reformation. Going back to what God actually said, what he wasn't saying is that I get to forgive somebody. The Bible is clear that the only one who forgives is Jesus. The only one. But what he's saying here is the call that you and I have been given is one that is to proclaim the gospel. And when we proclaim the gospel, we are offering people forgiveness. We have all kinds of rise and depression, anxiety, hopelessness, shame, guilt. And some of those things can be explained by Medical conditions, but too often we ignore that actually what people need to experience is the forgiveness and peace of Christ. It's not to say that those things won't occur, it's simply to say that even for those who struggle with it from a medical perspective, need Jesus. And even for those who don't struggle with it from a medical perspective, need Jesus. And it is found in Jesus, the hope that we have. And it comes by proclaiming the gospel. And when you proclaim the gospel to somebody, what you're offering them is forgiveness. When you go to your friend, your neighbor, your family member, when you proclaim the gospel you're proclaiming forgiveness and it's under Christ's authority that he says yes this is the way it is and so you can go confidently knowing that it's only through Christ that we have forgiveness I would say this that I think at times the gospel gets too weighed down with other things and what Jesus called us to was he preached a gospel of peace a peace that settled man's heart before God and brought him near with God. That's what he preached. And what he preached was that salvation came through repentance and belief on Christ. And through the Spirit, it is the Spirit who does the work when we proclaim His Word. And we can be confident and confidently say that no, this is not my belief, but this is Christ. It's in his authority. I know in my own life that I can can recoil a little bit when it comes to to sharing my faith. There are times I feel really comfortable and there are other times that I feel really scared. And the number of times that that fear moves me to a place where I back off when I actually should proclaim the truth in lovingness and gentleness, trusting that the spirit is, is going to allow for his authority, the authority of Christ, to be made known. In the same way, it gives us the confidence to look at somebody and say, Yeah, you know what? It's not me who judges you, but your life does not reflect Jesus. One of the great emphasis is for me coming to Jesus as a senior in high school, was a man that looked straight into my eyes and simply said, you profess a faith in Christ that I don't see. (laughs) Yeah. You profess a faith in Christ, his exact words, I believe, where you profess a faith in Christ and I don't have any idea where that is. Why could he say that with authority? Why did it, it prick my heart? Because it was the Spirit speaking, testifying to the fact. Guess what? I said that I repented and believed on Christ, but there was no repentance in my life. And there was no submission in my life. And so proclaiming the gospel is twofold. It's one, offering the forgiveness that Christ offers, but it's also saying, no, where you're at is not where you're at. It's the authority of Christ through the work of the Spirit. And that gives us peace. That gives us peace. Because now it's not me bringing my message, but it is me being a herald for Christ's message, his truth. And so the question for us this morning then is what do we do with that? Are you really experiencing the peace of Christ Are you trusting that the spirit who has come about and raised up Christ from the dead is the same spirit who is working in your life as a follower of Jesus? Do you see your life as more victorious and less defeating? Are you a city on a hill that cannot be hidden? Is your light shining bright for the world to see. Jesus' call was for us to go. He sends us as the Father sends Him. And as a result of that, He grants us His Spirit. And the church, us, as Christ's church, Redemption Hill Church, as followers of Christ, every church in this county that proclaims Jesus as Lord, has the same mission. It is to go into the world and to offer forgiveness and to declare when forgiveness is not at hand. The question for us is, are we going, not in our own power, but a power of a spirit who has made us victorious, because he is the source of victory. My hope for us this morning is that we no longer live as dead people, but that we live as people who are alive and victorious. And that may seem simple to say, but I want to encourage you that every time you feel defeated by sin, go and say the sin has been buried. I have, that was buried with Christ. And I believe in the resurrection and the resurrection power in my life, which is his spirit at work within me through the work of Jesus. And so today, may we be a body who is emboldened to go out, to go into the world as Jesus went into the world with the mission of the Father, not looking back, asking God, what are you doing? but looking forward saying, God, I can't, look f- I can't wait. And I can't wait to see what you're going to do. May that be our prayer this morning. May we be a people who go in boldness with impatience of seeing God's beautiful grace at work in the lives of those in our community. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the work of your spirit. May we have your peace and rest in your peace. God, may your peace overwhelm us as we were reminded that your Spirit empowered the work of the cross and your Spirit has granted us a purpose that God, that we are a people empowered for your purpose through your work, declaring your work for your glory. God, may we rest in your peace today and may we go in power as a people of peace, proclaiming your gospel of peace. And we ask this in your name, amen.